Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning. Today's scripture reading come from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be in the pulpit today sharing God's word with you. As many of you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series looking at parables of the kingdom. And before I read our passage for you today from Matthew's gospel, I want to say uh, two things. First, I want to say, remember that the passage I'm about to read to you is a parable. That is, it's a narrative that conveys a hidden message. This story didn't actually happen. It's not intended to be a realistic depiction of human behavior. You'll see in a minute, it has some pretty wild twists and turns. And it's not intended to be a literal description of God either. This parable has a powerful lesson for us, but we have to read it in the right way or we won't get that lesson. And second, um, you'll see in a minute, this parable is pretty challenging. To borrow an image from the world of skiing, some parables are bunny slopes and some parables are black diamonds. This one is a black diamond. So as we prepare to go down this slope, put on your helmet, buckle up, and hold on tight. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit, help us to hear it, to understand it, to take it to heart, and to live out its message in faith. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the living word, amen. So as I said, our scripture for today comes from Matthew's gospel, the 22nd chapter. I'm gonna read it a few verses at a time and then offer some commentary on what happens. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. So a king throws a wedding banquet for his son. This is a big deal. How many of you remember the royal wedding from five or six years ago? You remember that? Yes, it was a big to-do, a big hurrah. Everybody wanted to be there. This is the same sort of thing. Fantastic food, amazing drink. Everybody dressed up to the nines, all kinds of entertainment. Everybody would have been anxious for an invitation. Everybody in their right mind, anyway. The king sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet. 
but they would not come. Now, this would have been an astonishing turn of events. To be invited to the king's wedding was an enormous honor, and to refuse that invitation was an enormous insult. Disrespectful, shocking, insulting. Again, the king sent other slaves, saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. Even more astonishing, the king sends another batch of servants to issue an unprecedented second invitation. They emphasize how wonderful the wedding feast will be. Everything is ready. The fatted calf has been slaughtered. The champagne is chilling in the ice bucket. Once again, they blow off his invitation. And this second time is even worse than the first. Some of them make light of the invitation, offering some lame excuse about busy at the office or whatever. Others abuse and even eventually murder the servants sent to invite them. Now you can imagine what happens next. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. So when the king gets word of how his servants have been treated and how his invitation has been received, he sends out his army and destroys the, one who killed, destroys the ones who killed his servants. Now, most of the time, this would be the end of the wedding banquet, right? You got to picture the king talking to his son and saying, hey, son, you know all those people we invited to your wedding banquet? They're all dead. Long story. Let's just get takeout. Okay? That's how the story would end most of the time, but not here. Instead, the king is determined to have this banquet. So he sends out his slaves into the highways and byways to recruit new folks to attend this party. And the people they find, the Bible says, are both good and bad. They are a mixed bag, but they are willing to come. And sure enough, they manage to fill the reception hall. The wedding banquet is happening. Seems like the story should be over, right? Not quite. Here's how it ends. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. So when the king recruits all these new guests, he gives them all a new fancy set of wedding clothes. The ladies receive a beautiful gown and the men all get a snazzy new suit and they all look splendid. Except for one guy 
who for some reason refuses to put on his wedding outfit. And the king sees him and asks why, and the guy is dumbfounded. He just looks at him with his mouth open and doesn't say anything. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's it. That's the parable. Ta-da! What a passage. Oh my goodness. What a challenging part of scripture. Um, I, I'm going to level with you. The fact that I'm preaching on this today is the re- possible result of a clerical error. Like, when Becca and I were making up this sermon series, we don't fully remember, but we think it's likely we picked an easier passage of Scripture today, but wrote down this double black diamond part of Scripture. And I was too late in my process when we figured this out to start over again. And honestly, I think it's a God thing, because I want you to know, first and foremost, that it is faithful for you to struggle with the hard parts of Scripture, If you encounter parts of scripture like this that are intimidating and confusing or even a little frustrating, that's okay. And one of the most faithful things you can do is stay with it and struggle with it for a little while. So if all I do today is provide an example for you of what it looks like to struggle with scripture, I'll be happy. A helpful question to ask about this passage or about any tough passage in scripture is this, where's the good news? Where's the good news in a passage like this? And this might seem counterintuitive. Some of you are saying, Dave, you just read us that passage. There is no good news there. But I don't think that's quite true. Sometimes the good news in a particular passage of scripture might not be obvious. Sometimes you have to pick it up and turn it on its side, shake it around a little bit, snow globe it, right? Shake it up. But in my experience, there is very often a lot of good news hiding in seemingly unlikely passages of scripture. And I think that's the case here. Yes, this is a very sobering and challenging part of the Bible, but there's good news here as well. So let me share three points that I think flesh out the good news here. First, everyone's invited to be part of God's kingdom. Second, some people reject God's invitation. And third, on the cross, God rejects our rejection. I'm gonna take those one at a time. So first, everyone's invited to be part of God's kingdom. This parable is about God's kingdom. The king represents God, and the wedding banquet represents God's kingdom. You'd probably gotten that far on your own. The first thing I want you to see is how widely God extends the invitation to his kingdom. What you see in this parable is that everyone is invited to be part of God's kingdom. Everyone is invited in. In Jesus' day and age, there were many people who thought that admission to God's kingdom came about through ethnic privilege. That only Jews, only those of God's chosen people would be admitted to God's banquet and that all Gentiles, most of us in this room, would be excluded. And then there were those who thought that admission to God's kingdom came about through moral excellence. 
that only those who diligently devoted themselves to leading an ethical life, who never swerved from the straight and narrow, would make it into the kingdom. Those who made mistakes, screwed up, strayed from the narrow way, would not make it in. And there were also those who thought that admission to God's kingdom came through health and wealth. That those who were sound of mind and body, upwardly mobile at work, raking in the money, had God's favor and would make it into the kingdom. And that those who struggled, those who were sick in body, poor in spirit, and poor in wallet, were clearly not favored by God and so wouldn't make it into the kingdom. This parable shows us that all of those ideas are false. Admission to God's kingdom does not come about through ethnic privilege or moral excellence or health and wealth. It comes about sheerly through God's grace. And grace is for everyone. Everyone is invited to God's kingdom, no matter who they are. That's why the king in this parable is so determined to find guests to come to his banquet. It's not a realistic portrayal of a human being, but as a portrayal of God, it is very suggestive of his broad welcome. God wants everyone to come to his kingdom. Now it's true, not all the characters in this parable make it to the heavenly banquet. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But what I want you to see first is that in this parable, inclusion precedes exclusion. Inclusion precedes exclusion. God's invitation is absolutely comprehensive. Everyone is invited. Even those who don't wind up at the banquet are invited. Jews and Gentiles, moral people and immoral people, the healthy, wealthy, and wise, and the sick, poor, and foolish. God wants them all. And this tells us something incredibly important about God's character. You've never met one person that God doesn't want to attend his heavenly banquet. You've never met one person that God doesn't want in his kingdom. No matter how odious or difficult or annoying, no matter how repugnant or dangerous or sinful, God wants them to come and eat with him. Scripture tells us this elsewhere. In the book of 1 Timothy, it says, God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires everyone to be saved. And this parable shows us that. Everyone's invited to be part of God's kingdom. Now that leads me to my second point. Some people reject God's invitation. God has invited all of us to be part of his kingdom. He wants all of us to be there, but there are, are, there's more than one way we can respond to that. In fact, there's three ways we can respond. The first way we can respond is by saying yes. To say yes to God's invitation to his kingdom means having faith in Jesus, acknowledging him publicly as our savior, celebrating the new life he gives us, and following him as best we can with the help of the Spirit. And you see this in the parable, right? There are people who are invited to the banquet. They show up to the banquet. They're partying with the king. 
The second way we can respond is by saying no, by rejecting God's invitation. And you see this very clearly in the parable as well. Some people are invited and they just say, "Uh uh-uh, we won't come. The third way we can respond is by saying yes, but. Yes, but. This means saying that you want to accept God's invitation, but deferring any real action until a later date. Now, um, I've learned a lot about this pattern of behavior from my own household. Um, This is very popular in the Bruner household, especially among my kids. I will ask my kids for some help with a household task. Would you put away your shoes? Would you straighten up the kitchen a little bit? And what do they say? They say, sure, dad, absolutely. And then what happens? Nothing. Yes, that's correct. Some of you have played this game before. They don't move. They continue to read their book. They continue to play their video game or watch their TV show. Half an hour will go by and nothing will happen. And you know what the worst part is? Who did they learn this from? (laughs) This guy. I am notoriously hard to break away from reading a book or watching a show or working something on my computer. Saying yes but to God is a very subtle way of saying no. I love the people in the parable who turn down the invitation to the heavenly banquet and head off to work instead. (laughs) The gospel says that they make light of the invitation. They have no care for it. They aren't concerned about it. There's no sense of urgency. That's the yes, but approach. Part of what this parable reminds us, you see, is that while we're all invited to the banquet, it has to be our decision. Some people will say yes, and some people will say no. God is not going to force us to accept that invitation. He's not going to make us into puppets and do our believing for us. The ball is in our court. And that means if we say no to the invitation, well, that's on us. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis once said this, There are really only two kinds of people. There are those who finally say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right, have it your way. In this parable, some people are excluded from the king's banquet, from God's kingdom, but none of them are excluded by the king, by God. They are all excluded as a result of their own rejection of the invitation. They are all excluded because they blow off the invitation. They kill the messenger or they show up wildly underdressed with no excuse. The king's actions simply acknowledge the choice they have already made. Everyone who wants to be at the banquet in this parable winds up at the banquet. It's only those with no desire to be there who frequently and repeatedly reject the invitation who are excluded. Many years ago at my first call, I met a man who was a parole officer. And we got to chatting. And in my naivete, I said to him, so, part of your job is that you send people to prison? It wasn't a great way to make a conversation, but that's a whole other thing. But he smiled and he said to me, well, no, I don't send people to prison. The people I work with send themselves to prison. They're free if only they follow the conditions of their parole. And when they don't, they send themselves back 
God doesn't exclude people from his kingdom. They exclude themselves. Each of us has received an invitation to God's kingdom, to God's banquet. And each of us has a decision to make. Each of us has to decide for ourselves if we're accepting that invitation, if we're rejecting it, or if we're saying, yes, but... And I just want to encourage you today, if you've never committed to the Christian faith before, if you've never consciously accepted that invitation to the king's banquet, now is a great time to do it. I'm not expecting you to have some mystical experience or walk the aisle. I just want to encourage you to be clear about your commitment to Jesus Christ. Be clear that you've accepted that invitation. And if you haven't, I want to invite you to pray about it. Think on it. Pray on it. Talk to a friend about it. Because it's a worthwhile invitation and everyone has to make a decision. So what about those people who do decide to reject God's invitation? It's safe to say they get the worst of this parable. (laughs) Some of them wind up dead and then one guy winds up tied up and thrown into darkness. That leads me to my third point. On the cross, God rejects our rejection. This parable is a warning. It is a dramatization of the dangers of rejecting God's invitation. And it may be that at the end of all things, God will say to those who reject his invitation, Have it your way. You you can make up your own mind. But I think we need to read this passage in light of the cross of Jesus. This parable comes to us from Matthew 22, just a few chapters before Jesus' crucifixion. It's part of the rising action in the second half of that gospel, where the whole thing heads toward its climax on the cross. Jesus tells this story about people who resist God's invitation, who reject it violently. But what does Jesus do when he is finally violently rejected by the religious leaders of his day? What does he do when they come to kill him? Does he call down angels to smite his enemies? No. Does he pick up a sword and wreak havoc? No. He dies. He dies on the cross with his arms wide open. One more gesture of God's relentless invitation to even his most stubborn enemies. On the cross, Jesus rejects our rejection of God's kingdom. On the cross, Jesus rejects our rejection of God's invitation. A few years ago, I read an amazing story about a teenager named Siobhan O'Dell. She was going through the whole college admissions process. As many of you know, it's very stressful, very competitive. She applied to Duke University. It was her first choice. Unfortunately, she didn't get in. She got a rejection email from Duke. 
And Siobhan was tired, frustrated with the whole college admissions process, irritated at getting so many rejections. And so she did something quite brilliant. She sent Duke an email rejecting their rejection. It read like this. Dear Duke University Admissions, thank you for your letter of March 16. After careful consideration, I regret to inform you that I am unable to accept your refusal to offer me admission into the fall 2015 freshman class at Duke. This year, I have been fortunate enough to receive rejection letters from the best and brightest universities in the country. With a pool of letters so diverse and accomplished, I was unable to accept rejection letters I would have been able to accept only several years ago. Despite Duke's outstanding success in rejecting previous applicants, you simply did not meet my qualifications. Therefore, I will be attending Duke University's 2015 freshman class. I look forward to seeing you then. Sincerely, Siobhan O'Dell. I don't know where she is, but she's a genius. I love that story. And whatever it may say about our college administration, uh, admissions process, it's an incredible comment on the gospel. Because that email is what God does for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus rejects our rejection of his invitation. To those who reject his invitation again and again and again, who ignore it, refuse it, blow it off, play it down, against those who take up violent arms against him. Jesus says, I cannot accept your rejection. On the cross, Jesus says that he would rather die than see us excluded and rejected in God's kingdom. That's what the cross means. Paul in Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, God rejects our rejection of his kingdom. And that changes how we read this parable. It has to change how we read this parable. It means this parable is a warning and not a prediction. It's an illustration of what might be, not a guarantee of what will be. It means we need to acknowledge both the very real human ability to reject God's invitation and the way God rejects that rejection on the cross. That's how we need to read this parable. That's the gospel. And so the most important thing I have to say to you today, the last thing I have to say to you today is not watch out. It's not you better accept God's invitation or he'll cast you into outer darkness. The last and most important thing I have to say to you is simply the story's not over. The story's not over. Maybe you think it's too late for you to accept God's invitation to his kingdom. Maybe you think you've done too much, made too many mistakes, hurt too many people. It's not. It's not too late. There is room for you in God's kingdom. Maybe you think Christianity is for other people, different people, better people, people without so many questions or struggles. No, 
there is room for you in God's kingdom. God wants you to come in. Maybe your heart is breaking over a friend or family member or loved one who is far from God right now. And maybe you've been working for them and praying for them for years, inviting them again and again to church or to small groups or to retreats and nothing. Their story isn't over. I want you to know that. This church is full of people who used to want nothing at all to do with Jesus Christ and the church. (laughs) Throw a stone and you might hit one. And they know what it is like to be invited to God's banquet for years, for years and years, and to say, no, 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 no. And then one day, something changes. Something opens up in their heart. The spirit touches them and they say, yes. It can happen to anyone and it can happen to the person God's laid on your heart as well. Don't give up. The story's not over yet. The cross means that as Christians, we have no right to accept anyone's rejection of God's kingdom. We can never conclude that their rejection is final or definitive. We can only keep working, praying, trusting, and humbly relying on God, who is so full of surprises. So that's the good news I see in this passage. God wants everyone to attend his banquet. Some of us may reject that invitation. And on the cross, God rejects that rejection. And that gives us hope for everyone because the story's not over. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.